Canada, northern neighbor to the United States, a sovereign nation that's kind of only partly sovereign, second largest country in the world by size, but with only 38 million people, which puts it in the 37th place in that category. It's a place filled with fairly reasonable people, lots of trees, and many mysteries. We have a previous episode about conspiracy theories and mysteries and urban legends in the nation of Canada called O Canada, Canada. Uh, link in the episode notes. But uh, it did so well and it turns out there's so much going on up there in the great white north that uh, I thought we'd do a second episode. And this time I am joined by a real Canadian. I am speaking with Niall Seguin, he is a professional comedian. He is a writer, of, among other things, for television. He worked on the Hardy Boys reboot. He's worked on Killjoys. He's worked in the Beaverton and other things, still standing, and uh, done things for the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. And he is starting up a podcast to be launched shortly after this episode goes live. Very exciting. Let's call him a man about town. Hi, Niall. How are you? I am great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for talking to me today. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I'd like to say for all the listeners who have ever wondered, we're doing this over Zoom and I would like to confirm uh, Derek is in a vast, vast studio completely built by the Illuminati. Yes, yes. It, it looks exactly like Denver International Airport. So there there you go. Uh, I'd like to thank Niall for speaking to me today and, of course, everybody out there for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Don't forget you can subscribe, he says again, subscribe to the podcast. And uh, if you like what we do, you can donate via our Buy Me a Coffee page. And, of course, you may review this podcast as well wherever you listen to it and on IMDb because we're fancy. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. So, uh, Niall, you are a professional comedian. How long have you been doing this? Oh, for quite some time. Um, <laughs> coming up on 25 years now? Wow. Yeah, that is that is what my soul says every time I wake up. <laughs> so, now you're based in Toronto. Are you from there? or I am originally from uh, Ottawa, the nation's capital. Um, and I moved, uh, I moved to Toronto because it had a, a better scene, better comedy scene, more opportunities. Sure. Absolutely. It's New York without, uh, all the filth. Exactly like New York. No, it's not. It's not. It likes to think it's like New York. Um, I say this with love. It's like that kid who buys the same jacket as the cool kid in high school. 
just kind of trying to do the, I'm also like New York. Yeah, you're not, but you're adorable. It's fine. So let's talk briefly about your upcoming podcast, which should be launching just a couple of weeks after this episode goes live. It's called Total Nihilation. A little bit of a pun there with your name. And it's going to be kind of a focused observational comedy podcast, not really just coming up with stuff after you've smoked a bowl but but actually focused right yeah yeah it's it's almost it's almost a reaction to all the podcasts and i'm being bitchy but there's a lot of podcasts out there that just uh they tend to wonder yeah they they suck just come in with a plan man like people people got stuff to do yeah exactly don't don't want to hear you and your two friends tell in jokes for an hour and a half man just get to the bigfoot stuff exactly i'm gonna my whole the whole mission of that part of the podcast total annihilation is just can i make someone's day just a little better that's the plan that's nice yeah nice little digestible 30 minute bits I think that works nicely. Well, we're going to find out. Yeah, that's true. And just so everybody listening knows, once that podcast does go live, I will add a link to it in the episode notes. So make sure to check it out. I know I will. So uh, let's talk about Canada. Canada is an interesting name, actually. Do you know the origins or the supposed origins of the name Canada? I think I got the general gist of the supposed origins, but I cannot confirm. Like like every patriot, I don't do any research. I wasn't there. I just print the legend. Right. See, this is this is why it's important to have a Canadian, because this stuff is sort of baked into your clay, you know? It really is. It really is. So what's the what's the common wisdom on where Canada gets its name? The the vague theory I heard was uh somewhere along the lines, some European settlers arrived and were talking to some indigenous people and pointing in a certain direction to say pointing west, I suppose to say, what is this place called? The indigenous people thought that they were pointing at the village and they said, oh, that's Canada, which is the word for village. Uh, and that is apparently how we got our name as a nation, which uh, now that I'm saying it out loud, few plot holes, but okay. That's, it's actually, you know, the, there are a bunch of these kinds of stories out there. There's a very famous uh, sort of, I'm going to call it an urban legend, I guess, uh, or folklore legend in Australia that uh, the word kangaroo, some British you know, type, pointed to the animal and said to an aboriginal oh what's that called and the guy said kangaroo which in his language meant i'm sorry what did you say and the the british person went oh yes yes kangaroo and thus kangaroo it was that is a great story that is amazing if you give it two seconds thought you're like probably not true not true not even a little bit true however it turns out that to the best of anyone's ability to uh discern the truth of this your story is pretty accurate but there were some other alternative suggestions for what to call this new nation. One was Albert's Land. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. Uh, Borealia. Oh, what? That's an amazing one. That would be great, right? That would have been... Are you kidding? That's so Tolkien. I would love that. Yeah, I, I, I guess because of the Northern Lights, right? The Aurora Borealis. Yeah. Colonia, because it was a colony. That's just like calling a city, city. Norland transatlantica is okay wait stop are you making these up i'm not making these up i feel like you're just riffing now and victoria land was another idea wow what so i think i think you lucked out with canada yeah i mean the borealis one though i love it borealia yeah borealia would be it's hard to say though it sounds like you're already drunk I, well i am first of all <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but secondly, it makes us sound like this great, like like a nation out of like some sort of fantasy, you know, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings thing. I would love that. At the Olympics, it'd be great. Right. Borealia. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, of course, the, the com- most common nickname for Canada is the Great White North. Uh, however, on an episode of The Simpsons, it was referred to as America Junior. Uh, it has also been called America's Hat. And uh, conservative professional jerk face Pat Buchanan in 2002 called it Soviet Kanukistan because your country trades with Cuba. Polite. And speaking of that, I got to ask, is Canuck a polite word or an impolite word? Because like I've met a lot of New Zealanders that do not like to be referred to as Kiwis. Oh, news you can use. All right. Good to know. Yeah, so now you know. Some New Zealander pisses you off, you know what to say. So if I call a Canadian a Canuck, is that going to piss them off? No, that's fine. A lot of Canadians love that. It's it's this like, tee I don't know why. I mean, I don't get offended at it, but a lot of Canadians would be like, oh, yeah, I'm a Canuck. That's me, everybody. Really? Like, they, they legitimately like it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, whatever does it for you. Now, of course, no matter what you call it or how you say it, as we mentioned, Canada is vast and doesn't have a ton of people. Most of the population, I think it's something like 90 plus percent, live very near the southern border of Canada uh, along the dividing line between the United States and Canada because, you know, that's the warmest. And we like to watch. We like to watch the states. Just get up close. (laughs) What are you guys doing? Just pop out a lawn chair and some popcorn. Now, of course, one of the most famous cross-border sites is over in the east, and that's Niagara Falls. Uh, some people say it's romantic. Other people say it's tacky. But other people say it's scary. And I'm specifically referring to the, the screaming, screaming tunnel. tunnel. Do you know about this? I, I do know a bit about, uh, yes. But why don't you break it down for the peeps? Are we still saying peeps, by the way? All right, go ahead. Yeah, unless I know some people don't like the marshmallow Easter candies and uh, they can piss off because um, marshmallows are awesome no matter what shape they're in. I also like candy corn for the for the record. Oh, a lot of hot takes today. I think you're going to get a lot of emails. So if you're on the Canada side uh, over by Niagara Falls, there's a cul-de-sac ne- uh, near the end of Warner Road, just off Highway 405, which is known as Queen Elizabeth Way. There's a short, narrow drainage tunnel built in the early 1900s. It's short. It's only like 38 meters long. That's about 125 feet. And it runs under the former Grand Trunk Railway that used to funnel off water from nearby farms uh, and also allowed people to take their produce and their animals under the railroad tracks. Cool. Supposedly, one of the farms caught fire one night, and uh, unfortunately, so did one of the farmer's daughters. And she ran into the rather damp tunnel, maybe with some kind of uh, instinct of maybe it's wet enough in there, it'll put me out. Her clothes on fire, her hair's on fire, and she collapsed, thrashing and screaming, and died. So goes one version of the story. Another one says she was walking home from school when a driver of one of those newfangled automobiles struck her as she came out of the tunnel, which she was using as a shortcut, and then it was her father that somehow saw this and ran into the tunnel screaming. Another version of the story is that her parents were embroiled in a nasty divorce, arguing about who would get custody of the girl, so the father settled the matter by dragging his daughter into the tunnel and burning her alive. 
nice guy. And there is another version, (laughs) these just get worse, that a wandering tramp, the famous wandering tramp of, of lore, raped her in the tunnel, killed her, and then burned the body in an attempt to get rid of it. And there are actually even worse stories than that that we won't go into that involve incest, torture, and more. Anyway, farmer's girl, dead, in the tunnel, probably from fire, and her ghost returns to this place filled with deep emotion. And when the conditions are right, you can hear her scream. Good Lord. Have you have you ever been? Uh, I haven't. I only heard the one version. The nice version. <laughs> heard the nice, clean Disney version. No, I heard the version. Something it was a variation on the divorce, but the dad was chasing her and he and he got caught up to her in the tunnel. I mean, I think we can eliminate the first version right out of the gate, right? Just doing like a, a hundred meter dash while she's completely on fire. That's a strong kid. Maybe she <laughs> she was she was beefy. <laughs> so uh, now have you ever heard about something called dark tourism? Oh, I I think I have, yes. I mean I I get the idea given what we were just talking about. People go to creepy places where horrible tragedies have happened. So this has become a big uh, stop on the uh, trans-Canadian-American border dark tourism route. Uh, People have reported strange lights. They've reported seeing um, a smoke-like figure in the darkness inside the tunnel. They have uh, talked about unexplained chills. And of course, many, many people say they have heard this weird, high-pitched scream. And it is said that if you go to the center of the tunnel and strike a match, it frightens the ghost, which then screams and or blows out your match. Wow. But only a match. You can't, you can't like turn on your cell phone light. Your cell phone light for whatever reason is fine. <laughs> right. Cell phone light. If it blows out your cell phone light, wow. Or it just reads your texts. Yeah, right, right. There was a reporter who decided to look into this um, not terribly long ago uh, who talked to some locals who said that they had heard from their parents and grandparents who lived in the area, you know, their whole lives, that the true story is, is that the farmer and his wife would often have these dragged down knockout yelling arguments and the girl would leave the house during these, go into the tunnel and scream, kind of like Sally Bowles in uh, Cabaret, just to get rid of all the stress inside of her. And people around would hear this, and so they had nicknamed it the Screaming Tunnel, and that is why it's called the Screaming Tunnel. So there's, in what's probably the true story, there's no burned dead girl. Mm, Still existentially very dark. Yeah, it's still like she's going to need therapy. I got to say, though, this this whole thing has given me an idea for uh, great. And for the listeners, y'all should do this, too. Like a nice little passive income stream. You just if there's a place on your property or nearby, just start some ridiculous story about a ghost and then get that going. And then just have the dark tourists and people show up, make a little scratch, sell some T-shirts. You ever heard about Jerome, the man from Sandy Cove in Nova Scotia. I have vaguely heard about this. It's probably one of those that like floats around in the zeitgeist, right? Right. The mystery man. So there on the traditional lands of the, and I apologize for pronouncing this incorrectly, the Mi'kmaq or Mi'kmaq people. Uh, there is Sandy Cove down at the southern end of Nova Scotia on a long spit of land known as Digby Neck. And this is the site of one of the sea-bound coast's strangest yet truest mysteries. 
On September 8, 1863, eight-year-old Collie Albright was playing around on the beach when he saw a man. A man with no legs. Okay. The boy brought the man back to his home in the nearby village. Uh, The local doctor examined him. The stranger seemed to maybe be in his mid to late 70s, and both legs had been amputated just above the knee. And it was clean work, suggesting maybe a surgeon had performed this uh, amputation. And fairly recent, because the stumps were only partly healed and they were both wrapped in bandages. Uh, But he was also suffering from cold and exposure, suggesting maybe he'd been out on that beach for some time. So, of course, they wanted to find out, hey, who are you and what happened? Uh, But all attempts to communicate were unsuccessful. He did not seem to understand English or French. And so uh, lots of people tried lots of different languages. They tried Italian. They tried Spanish because they thought maybe he looked kind of Mediterranean. And and, uh, one guy with too many books in his library even tried speaking Latin to him but all to no avail. The only thing the man managed to say is he croaked out a sound that sounded kind of like, Jerome! And they thought that maybe that was his name, Jerome, and so they called him Jerome. And of course, people were curious about this Jerome guy. People kept coming around trying to figure out what language he spoke. He did not like all the visitors, uh, glaring at them, shying away, and sometimes he would even growl at them like an animal. I mean, that's, that's what I did. I do that all the time. Yeah, especially on a bus. People got to take a hint. Right. I'm sitting down. I need this seat, man. (laughs) He was not, however, like a simple guy. He wasn't damaged in, in the mind. People said he could see in his eyes he was deeply intelligent. He just, something was going on. Now, he got passed around from home to home in the village. And finally, a local Baptist minister uh, decided, you know, Jerome looks Catholic, and I don't know what a Catholic looks like. It may be just guilty and sad. <laughs> just a lot of oozing of guilt. Right, exactly. So they sent him to Metagon, an Arcadian French Catholic community uh, across St. Mary's Bay. The Blue Nose Province, which is another nickname for Nova Scotia, likes to take care of its folks, however, and the local government issued a $2 per week allowance from state funds for anybody who wanted to uh, take care of Jerome. This would pay for his upkeep. Folks in Metagon tried to get through to him as well. Uh, And finally, they ended up billeting him with a Jean-Nicolas who came from Corsica and actually was a polyglot speaking quite a few languages. But none of them seemed to register with Jerome. Wow. However, the Nicola family didn't really mind. He seemed to understand Uh, what they were trying to get across, and they grew quite fond of him, and they let him stay there full-time. So Jerome finally had a permanent home. But then, Nicola's wife, Juliette, died, and he said, I've had enough of Nova Scotia. I'm returning to Europe. And so Jerome went to stay with Dedier and Zabeth Camus, who uh, lived in the nearby town of St. Alphonse over near Bear Cove. Now, the Comus were happy to have the now famous Jerome of Sandy Cove in their home and, in fact, started charging people admission to see him. Plus, they pocketed the money, $2 a week, that they were getting from the government. So Jerome became a uh, sort of side hustle. Wow, way to double the revenue stream. Is, that's, that's the, uh, that, may, that explains a lot because in Canada, if you have, a, you have a side hustle, you call it a Jerome, which I never understood. But now, now I understand. 
Got a lot of Jeromes on the side. Now it makes sense. Anyway, Jerome was happy enough. He didn't seem to mind, and he died in 1912, having lived in the area for 49 years. Now, this would mean that either the initial estimate of his age had been off by a factor of decades, or he was the oldest human being ever to live on Earth and be recorded. So if we assume that he lived until he was 90, he had couldn't have been any later than his early 40s when they found him on that uh, beach way back when. It was a rough 40s is what is what he's yeah. He'd lived a good life. Yeah. During all of that time, 49 years in the area, he never spoke a single word, though he did occasionally make sort of animal-like noises, and no one ever figured out what had happened to him. Or who he was. That part to me is incredible. How many? 49 years? And he didn't learn like any of the, any language. I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, small town, people start to speculate. Maybe, some said, he was a sailor who gotten in trouble, been punished by having his legs chopped off and then thrown overboard. Though, there was a pretty clean cut job and they were bandaged, so... Hmm. Oh, well, some said maybe he had a rich father and he was supposed to be the heir apparent when the old man died. And so he was disposed of by greedy relatives. Medical professionals, years later, looking at his files, think maybe he might have had damage to the Broca's area of the brain, which is the part that processes speech. People who have injuries there often can only communicate using what sounds to us like animal grunts. Probably that last one. The first two, E for effort. I like how when these mysteries happen, they almost become like a, a Rorschach test for the people around them. Because it's like, what do you think happened? I think he was tortured. It kind of says a lot about you. Right. What's in your head, pal? <laughs> What's floating around back there? Okay. Good to know. Good to know. So uh, in 1994, a, an award-winning film called Jerome's Secret, directed by a person named Phil Como, who I assume is a relative of that enterprising couple who charged admission, but maybe that's just coincidence. Anyway, it tells Jerome's story, but takes some liberties with it, including uh, throwing in a romance between Jerome and Juliette Nicola, uh, which uh, almost certainly did not happen, and uh, the... Corsican husband who was cuckolded was impotent and it kind of goes on there. Anyway, uh, apparently it's a pretty decent film. It is the first ever Arcadian feature length film and it won um, several awards. Nice. And I also like that uh, the director con continued the family tradition of making money off of this guy. Just because he's dead doesn't mean he's not profitable. <laughs> exactly. You gotta, you gotta really squeeze that lemon. Get all the juice out. That's true. So in 2008, a local historian named Fraser Mooney Jr. came across some documents that referred to a young foreign-born man who had fallen through the frozen Salmon River in New Brunswick over near the town of Chipman, uh, which is just across the Bay of Fundy from Digby Neck. That man suffered injuries and eventually developed gangrene in both of his legs, and the doctor had to amputate. Huh. When he woke up post-surgery, he was reported as saying the word gamba over and over again. Huh. People didn't know what that meant. Maybe he was referring to gangrene, and so they started calling him gambi. But in fact, gamba is the Italian word for leg. Oh, 
Oh. So it makes you wonder if he was, in fact, a Mediterranean Catholic, as people had speculated, and was an Italian speaker, though it does make you wonder why he didn't respond. Maybe he also got damaged to Bronca's area in the brain. Who knows? I mean, yeah, that'll happen when you fall through the ice, I guess. I don't know enough about brains. I should I should not be talking right now. <laughs> now, of course, Gamby needed care and shelter and food, and this costs money, and this is a pretty poor region, and it was winter. So the locals paid a schooner captain to just take him away. That is... Was this a service the guy offered? I have so many questions. Crazy. Right, exactly. And not enough answers. So this historian Mooney says maybe Gamby is in fact Jerome and that the captain simply sailed across the bay and then dumped him on the beach at Sandy Cove where he was found by that eight-year-old. Wow. Do we know if the timelines sync up? Like, Yeah, the timelines do sync up. So he got paid and then Jerome showed up like a week later or whatever. Right, or or less even, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's got to be it. Right. That's that's. I, I like that version of the story. But, of course, whatever the truth is, we do not know, and we will never know definitively. The mystery of Jerome remains one of the greatest in all of Nova Scotia's history. As I mentioned in the previous Canada episode, Canadians can be pretty inventive. Uh, Previously, we had talked about the scandal and supposed conspiracy theories surrounding the Avro Aero jet fighter, which I know is very much part of uh, sort of Canadian lore about how they they was wronged by the Americans. It is. But did you know that Avro also made something called the Avro car? I did not know this. Ah, so the Avro Canada VZ Stroke 9 Avro car was a Cold War era vertical takeoff and landing vehicle, which is acronym to VTOL, right? Codename Project Y. I love all of this. This is best. Its first test flight was November 12, 1959, and it was shaped like a saucer. Oh, fabulous. Yes, Canada made their very own flying saucer the body was round and flat in some versions others versions it, it, the chassis was more kind of like shaped like a spade like on a deck of cards spade wow uh, the engine which was a 124 blade turbo rotor was also disc shaped and flat and sat in the middle of the craft so the whole thing was only about five and a half meters across 18 feet oh my god and only 1.1 meters thick about three and a half feet thick so it was like this disc Derek. I, I got to say, I'm not a nationalist, but I have never felt more patriotic than I am right now. I think we made a flying saucer. Follow that, everybody. That is great. I'm so proud. Keep going. The reason this was developed was uh, it was thought that, look, if there's ever a global thermonuclear war, air bases are all going to be destroyed. And so we need to have flying craft that can have zero length launch capabilities. Thus, things that can take off vertically. Ah. A lot of work was done on Project Y. Uh, All of it was based in hangars outside of Malton Airport, which today is now called Toronto Pearson International Airport. Oh, that was called Malton? 
Malton. Oh, I've only ever known it as Pearson. And the U.S. Air Force and Navy also got involved in the project. Uh, American officials wanted it to be successful and had these ideas of uh, deploying whole squadrons of what they termed flying jeeps. This is so great. Now, there was also, the Canadians and the Americans thought, a little bit of a propaganda bonus to this flying disc-shaped craft. Because, of course, flying saucers had started being reported just 12 years previously in 1947. And suddenly, every couple of days, somebody somewhere saying, I saw a flying saucer. So they thought, hey, if we can get this thing to work, we can go ahead and plop our flying saucer in different places around the Soviet Union and Soviet allied states and freak them out and waste time and resources. That's obviously the best use a flying car. <laughs> right, exactly. Now, the reason it was shaped like this, though, was not for that. That was just like a, a juicy byproduct. The idea was they were going to use something called the Coanda effect, which is that jet fuel, because it's quite thick, tends to stay attached to convex surfaces. So the whole sort of inside of the disc is filled with this jet fuel, right? And this would help the Avro car stay in the air. However, the problem was is it would hover about a meter or so off the ground and then kind of wobble around like uh, someone from a car accident sort of in physical therapy learning to walk again and managed to fly three feet off the ground for, you know, like half a city block and then it would have to land again. It also made an astonishing amount of noise and it got incredibly hot. And I'm, bet I'm betting it probably burned quite a good deal of like jet fuel or whatever. Yes, for sure, yeah. So just two years after they started it, they canceled the project. Ah, that is too bad. That would have been fun. Sad. Who gives up on a flying car? Honestly. Eh, it just it just didn't work. They moved on to a bigger and better things. So, though many of the design and engineering concepts uh, ended up going into the uh, first modern hovercraft. So, you know. A little silver lining. Yeah. They only built two of the Avro cars ever. And since the Americans had funded most of it, um, they got to keep them. That's typical, right? Typical. Yeah, I, I, we're not great at negotiating, especially with especially with Americans. And so I was like, ah, great deal for us. Wait, where are my pants? Damn it, they did it again. <laughs> so one of them is at the National Museum of the United States Air Force in Dayton, Ohio, in the Cold War Gallery, which was donated there after it had seen many years of use as a wind tunnel test object. Oh. Aerodynamic disc. Right, right, right. The other one is at Fort Eustis in Virginia, uh, currently undergoing refurbishment as of this recording uh, at the U.S. Army Transportation Museum. So, yes, Canada invented a flying saucer, and it didn't work very well, and now the Americans have it. This is very upsetting. This is very, I, I can't take this L. I'm going to start a Kickstarter. We're making, we're making the flying saucer car. Bring the Avro car home. I'm bringing the Avro car home. The Avro 2.0, probably. Like the Stone of Scone, you know. Bring it back to Scotland, damn you. Exactly. That's our Stone of Scone. Now, Canadians uh, not only have their own history, but they have their own slang. Besides that distinctive way of saying the word about, say, say it for me. Have I been doing it, by the way? Have I? Because we can't hear it. About. Am I doing it? Oh, no. You, you sound like an American when you say it. Whoa. I'm a double agent, you guys. Yeah. It says I've tried to mimic it and I can't. Uh, it's just kind of about boot. It's like there's an extra half syllable in there. Yeah. A boot. 
A boot? Uh, the tongue is higher in the mouth than uh, most American pronunciations. This is actually the result of something called Canadian raising. Wow. Where vowels in the middle of certain diphthongs tend to be raised. Now, there's also something called the Canadian shift, which is similar to something in America known as the California shift, which is a change in certain short vowel sounds. So like the word kit, K-I-T, sounds a bit more like cat. Dress sounds more like dress. Really? And trap sounds more like trop. Wait, for us? Yeah, supposedly. This is what linguists say. Oh, well. So do me a favor. Say the sentence. I'd like to talk about the dress trap in the kit. I'd, I'd like to talk about the dress trap in the kit. See, you sound like an American to my ears, but uh, maybe maybe it's the recording. Maybe Zoom is is uh, yankifying this recording. Exactly. I did have. I do have my microphone set to America. <laughs> there you go. Which it's a very fancy podcast uh, microphone. It's it's very expensive. Uh, besides these two oddities, though, Canadian English is surprisingly uniform for such a large country. Like in the U.S., we have vast variations england and and great britain my god the variations are people can literally get down to the village and sometimes what part of the village a person is from uh, based on their accent but canadians generally seem to have a fairly uniform accent for the most part do you, is this true do you find this to be true or do you hear west coast east coast isms I, I mean you really have to you know squint with your ears so to speak you can hear like you can there's some bc stuff there's definitely uh, a lot of west coast people uh, people from the you know western prairies and, and the bc will say hey a lot instead of a ah and then uh, once you get out east it gets way more pronounced uh, especially like in in Newfoundland, you got that sort of Lord Tundra Jesus bite. You got that sort of accent going. Oh, yeah, which is like Scottish, Irish influence, right? Irish, very heavily, uh, yeah. But it's not like I know a lot of friends who are Newfoundlanders and they don't, they sound like me unless unless they put it on, so to speak. I can't tell if they're code switching or if that's just their default. I should ask them. After, after they've had a couple of glasses of scrumpy, though. Yes, it does start to leak. It does start to leak for sure, yeah. So I came across a number of uh, Canadian slang terms, and I thought you, sir, could help us explain what these words mean. Oh, boy. So the first one is beaking, to beak somebody. Beaking? Okay, now I'm... Very concerned that I'm either going to show how un-Canadian I am or how uncool I am or both. I don't know what beaking is. Ah, so maybe you've heard chirping instead to chirp somebody. Yes. Okay, yes. Chirping. That's the Eastern Canadian term. All right. So what is chirping? Chirping. Uh, I don't know about Eastern Canadian term. I've I've heard it like from hockey, where if you're like chirping at someone, you're kind of talking smack, which is another slang. I, I just translated from one slang to another. It's like you're you're trash talking someone. You're provoking someone, I guess. Yeah, you're mocking them in some way. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, Eastern, which includes Toronto, apparently, uh, chirping. But in the West, they say beaking. You're beaking somebody. Do they now? Okay. All right. Like 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 squishing squishing their beak. I guess. I'm learning so much. Here's a Saskatchewan term. No points off if you don't know it. A bunny hug. Bunny hug. No, not got nothing. Ah, so this is a Saskatchewan term for a hoodie or a sweatshirt with a hood. Like they, they call it a bunny hug. All right, all right. I do know this. Um, I didn't know this before until I met someone from uh, Saskatchewan. They like to say, 
Saskatchewan rather than Saskatchewan. Ah, you know, like if you live if you live in a place that's sort of it's like people from Toronto. You can tell a Torontonian because they'll be like, "Oh yeah, it's Toronto." It's like he's just we we melted into one word. Same thing with Saskatchewan, apparently. Saskatchewan, just like New Orleans locals call it Nolans. Yes. Nolens, yes. Uh, what is a Canadian tuxedo? Oh man, I I don't know, but I'm bracing myself emotionally. <laughs> I think it's going to be bad. According to my sources, it is blue jeans and a denim jacket. Oh boy! Wow, that's uh, all right. Nice burn. I, I suppose <laughs> I'm not making this up. I came across this on on a uh, Canadian college website for people coming to Canada to help them assimilate. <laughs> God, uh, yeah, that's that's a lot. That's a, that is so. I mean, the whole Canadian tuxedo thing. I don't. I wouldn't take a chance on that one. But maybe, maybe. Speaking of schools, so when a Canadian says college, what are they referring to? Oh, they are okay. Let me see if I can remember that. Community college is the term you guys would use because we say university, right? Exactly. Whereas we uh, Americans say college for everything. Anything from a junior college or a community college all the way up to Harvard. Uh, what is a dart? I'm going to go have a dart. It's a cigarette, I believe. Yeah. Points for you. Thank you. Of course, extra points for people listening because this was talked about in the last episode. A double-double. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to yuck other people's yums, but it's when you get a coffee and you have two sugars and two creams, which just seems like a lot to me. Uh, what is an eaves trough? Oh, that's the um, uh, just a thing around the uh, around a house where it collects like uh, uh, water and well, it also collects leaves, but I don't think on purpose. It collects water so that leaves and dead birds. Yeah, what do you guys call it? A rain gutter. Get out. Yeah, that's what Americans call it. It's a gutter. What? Oh, yeah, gutter. Huh. There you go. So you call it an elastic. We call it rubber band. Rubber band. Yes. You guys are so highfalutin. <laughs> rubber band. Now, of course, one of the famous Canadian words is hoser. What is a hoser? You hoser. Oh, a hoser. It's like a derogatory term. It's mostly from the early 80s. I don't know if we still use it. I haven't heard it in a long time. There are some words someone will say, what does this mean? You viscerally know what it means. Like, you know who's a hoser. I can tell you who's a hoser and who isn't, but I can't define. Okay, so tell me a couple of tell me a couple of hosers. <laughs> Who is a hoser? All right, maybe I lied there. I would have to say, I, I'm blanking. I'm blanking, but I feel like... So like Trudeau, is Trudeau a hoser? Um, I think that depends on who you ask, but I don't think he's a... He's hoser-ish. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's doing his best. I, I don't know where it comes from, but I guess hoser originally means like like a rube, like someone who's unsophisticated... You know, like a like a rural person. We would say hick. Oh, okay, okay. Then I had I had the I had a different different uh, definition of hoser, but you know, the hoser is in the eye of the beholder. I think <laughs> that's a good line. Uh, what is a keener? That person is a keener. You guys don't say keener. There's no way you guys don't say keener. Someone who's kind of like um, a level lower in terms of harshness than a kiss ass <laughs> like like a suck up kind of yeah 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 yeah. but yeah yeah like a suck up you guys don't say keener no we don't say keener brown noser and i think we all know where that comes from which is you know filthy yeah we clean it up with keener so uh after i'm done taking my mom to the store to show her some bags of milk i might also pick up a mickey it's like um 
small bottle of uh, booze, like hard liquor. 375 milliliters, 12.6 ounces. Perfect for fitting inside of a bag or purse. Oh, yeah. Or wait. Okay. You guys don't. Now I'm sure you guys say Mickey. I am positive. No. No, there is a not very good beer called Mickey's Big Mouth, which has a rather squat, extremely wide mouth, uh, glass bottles. It tastes a little bit like vomit going down the first time. Uh, and that's the only the only Mickey that we have in regards to uh, alcohol. Must make it easier to throw up later. But wait, what do you guys call those then? What do you call Mickey's? I don't know. I'm just a little bottle of booze. This is blowing my mind. I'm sorry. We're just not as sophisticated. However, what's a Texas Mickey? A Texas Mickey? I don't know. I've never had that. Never heard of that. So people know this is a Canadian term and it refers to a three liter bottle of alcohol. Wow. So a Texas Mickey, that's 3.1 quarts or just about like 0.79 gallons. That's a big one. Is that praising Texas or is that a diss of Texas? I think it's both. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, fair, fair. Two things can be true. It's Schrodinger's nickname. So if I drink a whole bunch of those Texas Mickeys, I might get myself some Molson muscle. <laughs> okay, now that one I had not heard, but I feel like I deduced what it is. Is it a bit of a gut? Yeah, it's a, it's a beer belly. Yeah. <laughs> From drinking too many Molson ales. The beer of choice for Canadians everywhere. Molson muscle is great. So you get like a multi-story parking lot. What do you call that? A multi-story uh, I, I don't know. A parkade, perhaps? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. It's it's parking with all the excitement in front of an arcade. I bet you there's a French origin. I'm I'm French-Canadian now, so I feel like I should know this, but I bet that there's somewhere in there there's some sort of French origin to the parkade situation. Uh, to be on pogey. Oh, I, I think when you are on uh, uh, social assistance. Right, welfare. The door in for British listeners. Pogey. I, I wonder where that comes from. I don't know. I don't know. Um, a napkin is called. Oh, um, oh, this is another one of those where I'm like, you're going to say it. And I'll be like, yep. Especially if it's cloth. Uh, serviette. Yes. That's mostly like French Canadian serviette. You're going to get so many emails from Canadians saying that that guy was not Canadian. Like they are going to dunk on me so hard. Okay, okay. I'm going to give you a chance to to uh, to slap down the naysayers. Explain Shreddy's breakfast cereal to me. Explain it? What the heck are they? They're like uh We don't have them. You don't? No, they look to me like wheat checks, corn checks, rice checks. What are they? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't know what 90% of the cereal I eat is made of. But it's it's quote-unquote food. They're like little squares um you just you're just asking the question and i'm only now realizing i have never stopped to consider what shreddies are made of i'm like well i mean they're in a box and they're a grocery store it must be food and and safe uh yeah i have not had them in quite some time but like when i was a kid oh you just you put them in a bowl and of course they have no none of the fruit loops level sugar so i would just bathe them in sugar uh, I guess it's a Nabisco brand. I, the reason I ask is because I, I looked it up online and I was like, I wonder what they taste like. Because I'm looking, like right now, I'm looking at, there are blueberry wheat shreddies, which look like shredded wheat. There are honey-flavored shreddies. There are original shreddies, which I guess tastes original. Uh, there are all these different shreddies, deliciously malty squares. 
So is it like a malt element? Are they malt, honey, wheat? No, it's mostly, it's, they mostly taste like squares. No, um, you <laughs> you named a cereal earlier uh, that I'm like, that's what it sounds like. Was that maybe Chex? Yeah, like wheat Chex and stuff like that. I feel like it, I it, this is, again, it's been a long time. It's been a minute, as I could say, since I've had some, but I feel like they taste like Chex. Uh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, if I go to the shop and I get a 2-4, I just bought myself... Oh, you get a, 24, a case of 24 beers. Boy, as was mentioned in the previous episode, that was a test for all the regular listeners. Last two. Uh, of course, you know, where I live, it turns out the polite word is toilet. Uh, that in, in For checks, that refers to the room where you do the business. And of course, for Americans, it's the mechanism itself where the business is, is done and so it's rude to mention that. So we have a variety of euphemisms for it. What's the what's the most common Canadian one? Uh, this is the one that uh, Americans catch me on the most. This is the ones where they're always like, "Oh, you're Canadian." Is uh, it's washroom? Go to the washroom. Washroom. Yeah. See, we say restroom, which I think is unfair because sometimes I work my ass off in there, so I'm not I'm not resting. I feel though like the the pushback on that is that a lot of people, you know, in like a nine to five soul sucking job. You, I've done it. I've done it back when I did day jobs. You go to the cubicle. You're not you're not doing business. You're just killing time. You're resting. My favorite uh, euphemism I ever heard came from a British person once who who said, "Excuse me, but can you tell me where I might find the comfort station?" Amazing! Wow. That makes it sound so much classier than what actually happens in there. And the last one is whitener. It's a food item. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, it's like a, for your coffee there, the sort of powdered cream sort of. Whitener. I was like, oh, I thought that was just the British government. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Wait, what do you guys? Non-dairy creamer, right. So you would, you would literally say that. You would say, so a double-double is actually could be two whiteners. Uh, well, if you're, I don't think you'd say whitener because you're, you're getting like cream, like actual cream. You're not getting like the powdered. Yeah, yeah. So a double-double would be like two sugar, two cream. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I, I feel bad now because uh, I thought that the uh, the Canadian slang term thing would be uh, a lot more fun than that. But instead, I feel like I just put you on the spot and probably got your citizenship revoked. So I apologize for that. Well, that's fair. I mean, I'm I could probably fit into the states. Apparently, I don't have the accent. That's <laughs> true. You say about exactly. I'm I'm halfway there. I've been working on it, and now I'm totally going to get kicked out. So uh, if anyone's in, uh, in the U.S., if you got a couch. <laughs> I'm a coming. Or a Chesterfield. A Chesterfield. We used to call them that. That's not Canadian. That's not That's not enough Not enough for me to stay, though. Yeah, yeah. Chesterfield, yeah, instead of sofa. How much do you think? Do you think a lot of the Americanisms are creeping north over the 49th parallel and starting to infect Canadians? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but that's this is the thing where a slight bone of contention is is uh, there's not a lot of funding for Canadian cultural stuff, especially specifically television, uh, film and television. And and there's just so much American content. If you walk down the street, you ask a Canadian, hey, what's happening on insert American show here? They'll break it down for you. And then if you say, what about this Canadian show? They'll be like, what's that? Continuum? What is that? <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, there's just a lot of, you guys, uh, you guys make a lot of cool stuff. We are, we are much bigger, to be fair. Yeah, we'll take that too. We take that too. <laughs> 
Well, uh, as bad as I feel about putting him on the spot, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with my guest today, Niles Sagan. He is a professional comedian uh, from the Great White North up there in Toronto, Canada. He is a writer, an actor, and he's about to start a podcast called Total Nihilation. Very punny indeed. Uh, half hour cereal bowls of focused observational comedy. So I have a request for you for the for the podcast. Uh, I think that it's time to invent some new Canadian slang terms. Okay, okay, I like it. Right, and and see and see if we can get them to infect south of the border in the United States. Ooh, this I love. Right, Canada, the Canucks fight back. Oh, this is amazing. A sort of countercultural invasion. I love this so much. But now the problem with that is that an American came up with the idea. It's We can't win for losing. You can't copyright an idea. What, you can't? Oh, no. No, you can't copyright an idea. You can't copyright a title, which is why my next 65 episodes are going to be titled Total Nihilation. <laughs> that's, that's fine. My podcast, I'm just going to rename it to Star Wars. <laughs> right. Star Wars and Gone with the Wind. I keep getting these emails about Jedis. I don't know what is going on with these people. They're so upset. Well, uh, again, we've only scratched the surface on uh, some of the crazy, interesting stories that uh, go on up there in Canada. Uh, as I said, I've only been uh, a couple of times in my life, uh, but I am uh, I'm going to consider myself a, a Canada fan. Oh, all right. I like Canada. My wife and I are huge Amazing Race fans, and uh, Amazing Race Canada is just, you see how gorgeous the country is, and you just go, man, that's like, I, we got to go there, we got to go there, we got to go there, we got to go there. I'm not doing those stupid tasks, but you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you again, Mr. Sagan, for talking to me today. And of course, thank you everybody out there for listening to this second episode of Mysteries and Histories from the Great nation of Canada. Uh, during my research, I discovered many, many other stories, uh, and uh, we will do future episodes in 2024 that talk about those. Perhaps Mr. Seguin would be kind enough to come on again. Oh, most definitely. See what I did there? I rhymed. I, I, I like it. I, I appreciate it. Sorry. I didn't, I should have, I should have let the moment breathe. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.